Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I'm Sean Fennessy, and this is the Prestige TV Podcast. Today, we're talking about the fourth episode of the third season of Barry, and we're doing so with the star and co-creator of the show, Bill Hader. Let's dive into our chat. We're back with Bill Hader. We're talking about episode four, season three of Barry. The name of this episode is All the Sauces. <laughs> the episode titles are good. Can we just start with that? Where do you, How do you guys land on that? Is it after you've completed the episode? Yeah, that actually... That was not that, you know, it's very, very late in the game when you'll get an email from HBO saying, hey, we need ep- you know, ep- episode titles. And I think I I kind of put them together and then they're pretty much are just the ones I kind of came up with off the top of my head. And then actually um, uh, my assistant, Alyssa Donovan, who's very funny, uh, came up with the title of episode seven. Um, cause I couldn't figure out what episode seven should be. And so she was like, Oh, what if it's this? And I was like, Oh yeah, that's great. We'll have to circle back when we get to episode seven. Yeah. Um, so this episode opens kind of a cold open on a woman having a phone call with her husband who is not in their home and she's just getting home. And we quickly learn that this is a flashback to somewhat recent history. And mm-hmm. then the husband is assassinated mm-hmm. by Barry and then later in the episode, we see quickly that Fuchs is visiting uh, Ryan's father, and and these these kind of ghosts of Barry's past are being dredged up. It reminded me a little bit of the Scott Pilgrim Evil Exes, Bill. Um, you know, this idea of activating the past against mm-hmm. a character. Um, can you can you talk about just like the decision to dredge up the victims of the past for Barry? Um. Yeah. The. Uh, well, you know that that. Sh- the shot at the beginning when the uh, guy comes out, you know, that's the very first shot of the pilot. Um, when Barry comes out of the bathroom and you see the guy there, that was the very first shot of the pilot. And so we always, you know, like, the, again, this will probably come up a lot when we're, do, we're doing these. Like, that first day of writing, we kind of came in with a bunch of ideas, and one of them that Liz Sarnoff and I have been talking about was what if um, Fuchs goes back to the families of Barry's um, victims 
as a way of, of showing the consequences of what he's done, you know? And I thought it would be interesting to show like the guy at the very, the pilot and it's just any other show. Here's the, you know, the dead body that you see all the time in movies and TV and stuff. What if that guy had a wife and a kid he loved and they loved him and, you know, um, and that their lives had been completely ruined by what Barry's done. And, um, and it was kind of the stuff we talked about in the last episode about, you know, with Henry hitting Barry, it's this idea of, of, um, love. And if you love something so strong, how that can turn to, to violence, you know, if, uh, you know, in that very primal thing and, um, you know, it's just something I'm interested, I've always been interested in. So that was kind of the idea of what if Fuchs's idea is to kind of, yeah, weaponize these people. And then it became a bigger conversation. People in the, you know, writer's room going like, okay, well, that's a very bleak view of, of humanity that everybody would become violent and, and these things. But, um, you know, I think for the purposes of the show, each of their, these people that, he weaponizes uh the results are all kind of different one of the things that's interesting that comes out of it is you see kind of the messiness of all of the reactions of the people that fuchs is visiting you know some of them are not exactly what you would expect it's not this typical genre storytelling where a moment like this happens and then you think the revenge activator takes over and it's just like i must kill you know like each of these characters yeah well how do you how do you decide that well, I was telling Annabeth Gish and, and um, you know, the other actors in those scenes, you know, and Alec and I were very important that, you know, this is more about trauma. It was less about being badass. Again, don't, don't put the genre in it. You know, it's, it's, it's more of the trauma, you know, of what they've gone through and thinking, you know, at the end of this episode, like this will make the pain go away. And, you know, you've seen that before. I remember talking in the room, you know, there was that guy who, I remember seeing it, you know, this is one of the things that really struck me. I remember watching, um, there's a story, I want to say in the 80s of this kid's karate teacher had kidnapped this kid and, um, and taken him to a hotel and they couldn't be found. There's a manhunt for him. And when they found him and the kid got back to his, kid luckily was alive and, and it was a boy and the boy got back to his family, but it was very clear that this karate instructor had, um, was obsessed with him and had, you know, molested him and all this. And there, and it was just awful story. And there's news cameras showing the, the, uh, karate instructor as he's being, I think, extradited back to wherever they were from. And he's in handcuffs and he's walking past all these, these, this phone bank, um, and a, a guy with a hat is on a cell phone, on a, on a pay phone and it turns around and it's the kid's father and he shoots him and he shot him on television. Like on, like people were watching the news and they saw this guy get shot and that father's. And again, I saw that and it was really terrifying because it was real. And I've been watching movies and movies it's stylized. There's something cool about it. And instead I just saw this person in pain. He shoots the guy and then he drops the gun and he just puts his hands up in his hair and you hear, and you hear people going, why, why'd you do that? 
why'd you do that? Because people knew who they, you know, some of the officers knew who he was. Like, why'd you do that? And he killed a guy. And you just, that pain, you know, um, was, is always, yeah, it's just something that's, um, I find really chilling. I found that, that footage incredibly chilling, but it, it, it has always stuck with me. And so I think I remember that rolling around in there of like, yo, no, it's more that, you know, than like, yeah, Scott Pilgrim. You, you, by the same token though, maybe I think of something like that because in an episode like this, even though you're channeling this trauma from these characters, these characters, like we've never seen Annabeth Gish on the show before. And she's somebody who we recognize and we immediately have like an empathy for her character in that story. Within a minute, Fred Melamed shows up and he's Gene's agent and he's mentioning all the names that he's been called in the business over the years. And so you're doing this like lily pad dance between this very heavy material and this super funny stuff with these, you know, great character actors. I I probably could ask you this in every episode, but that seems like a really hard dance to, to, to nail. Well, I think it's by virtue of like what the setup of the story is. You know, we set up that very early in the pilot that this this world, you know, we, we led with that first shot that you you saw, which is, um, uh, you know, and this was by design. The first shot should not be funny. You know, the pilot buried coming out of a bathroom, and you, you see a dead body, and it should be shocking and and his kind of um reaction to that body or non-reaction to the body should also tell you a story you know um and it's also it's kind of chilling too the blood like really pours out of the head it's like a very yeah, visceral moment yeah and and that's based on like finding footage like pictures of real people who have been shot and making it look as real as possible so it was kind of like saying to me, like, we're going to lead with that and then let the comedy come behind it in in a very real way with these characters. And then you just you just do it, you know, and some things work together and they and they don't. But I think the 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 whole kind of, you know, you know, premise of the show is this guy who should live in the shadows. The universe is like, you should live in the shadows and be violent. And he's like, no, I want to be nonviolent and live in the spotlight. And in the spotlight, you know, are people like Gene Cousineau, you know, <laughs> in Hollywood. And, and you know, and so I think just by that, you're able to kind of go back and forth. But um, but we never think about it, you know, like, oh, this is hard. It's just kind of like, well, this is what the show is. And, and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I definitely, it, it, I love it that... Uh, when Henry opens the door, that Gene's just there, that a friend Melamed, Tom Pissarro is just standing there. Um, and then that was a fun thing of all the things that people used to call, call him. And uh, Duffy Boudreaux came up with Stone Cold Buster, which was the one that made us laugh the hardest. <laughs> or made me laugh the hardest, like Stone Cold Buster. And the way that Fred Melamed says that, I was like, well, we have to cut out on Stone Cold Buster. It's just, that was a thing when we were in the edit we were just walk around saying Stone Cold Buster all the time. I had, um, I had no idea that Fred was going to be on this show, but I, I think in the last episode we, we talked about a serious man and the ending of a serious man. Oh, so yeah, there's some no, nice yeah, connectivity there. Man, I mean, yeah, there's no way me not, you know, when we were trying to cast that part, 
Sherry Thomas, you know, our, our great casting director was like, what about Fred Melamed? And I loved him as a serious man. And I also loved him as, uh, uh, Larry David's, uh, therapist, like Herb, <laughs> who, 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 yeah, who has all these famous patients, but he doesn't want to say, he's like, I have a patient, you know, who frequents prostitutes. I don't want to say who he is, but let's just say he created Star Wars. <laughs> and Larry's like, wait, are you telling people about me? <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, 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 no. You know? And he, he's, <laughs> it's just, it was just very funny. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. So I just, I've always loved Fred Melamed and, and he's such a wonderful guy, very warm guy. And, and, uh, and, and I want to bring up Andrew Leeds too, who plays Leo, uh, uh, is a great actor and, and always is, you know, he's kind of, again, Kusno, it's good for him to have a conscience, you know, someone who's talking sense in a scene, and he's definitely that that guy. He seems like the most real person on the show, honestly. Yeah, the most, yeah, like, he's the one guy that's kind of uh, has a a son, and he's you know, you know, divorced, and he's just trying to figure his shit out. Something interesting about him, if you go back and watch episodes one and two, uh, his scenes in episodes four and five um, were part of the reshoots and he was doing another project and he had a beard. And so he couldn't cut the beard. So in episode one and at the end of episode two, when he's talking to us, when Gene comes home and he finds me there, that is a digital effect, his beard. That is a CG beard and it looks pretty amazing. Wow. (laughs) We shot those. He had no beard and we couldn't, it was like, well, you know, they were like, well, maybe we try to make it, give him a shave and we make it look like he has no beard. And it's like, well, maybe it's easier if we give him a beard in the earlier episodes. So. Is there room in the budget for something like that? When something like that comes up or it's just like, oh, we need 50 grand to give him a beard. I just don't even think about it. I just, (laughs) just say, if we can do that, that'd be great. (laughs) 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 I I don't, I try not to. If I thought about all that, I would just, yeah, I would never leave my room. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, watching Fred and Henry talk and kind of, once again, like mythologize Henry's character, I feel like yeah. this season has been a lot about kind of talking about Gene's past and talking mm-hmm. about what a terrible person he's been over the last 20 or 30 years. It did have me wondering, like, was there an inspiration for Gene or like stories that you were pulling from for that character? Because now I feel like we're learning a lot more about the arc of his life. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think, I mean, there's uh, so many people like that in Hollywood, but never like a very specific person, you know? I mean, I remember when I was a PA, there was always those actors, you know, when I was a production assistant that it would be like, you know, you don't want to work with so-and-so. And then as you become an actor, it's, um, I think Sally has the line, like, um, life's too short list. Like I know a couple of casting directors are like, Oh, that person's in the life too short list, you know? And, uh, Gene is firmly in the life's too short list, you know? And it's like, but I think it was important for us to show again, this was kind of happening organically of, you know, Gene and, and Barry having these parallel stories of trying to have forgiveness for being, um, shitty people, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 uh, and they, they both have paths that are, um, that are, you know, pretty bad. And so, 
I mean, obviously Barry's is worse, but um, but I think it, it, it allowed us to have nice moments like in episode three when Barry's like, you know, we're the same, you know, because that's the only way Barry and his denial can kind of understand what he's doing, you know. So, and again, this is all kind of ignited from love and uh, violence <laughs> and this stuff kind of this ball starts rolling and you see this cycle happen that you kind of see throughout history. You know, this is a thing that's kind of, you know, it's like the beginning of 2001, you see the, you know, the whole opening with the apes is like the birth of violence. <laughs> you know, this thing wants another thing and it's like, Oh no, you can't have it. Well, I want it. So I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then this other tribes like, well, wait, that was our friend. We loved it. So now we're going to kill you. You know what I mean? And it's just, um, you're just kind of seeing a thing that's been, you know, Shakespeare plays, you know, the great, great stories, all that stuff kind of deals with that cycle, you know? Even though we see the differences between Barry and Gene and the terrible things that they did, you get this little window into Gene's weird anxiety and anger when he hears like someone called him a fuck fuck and that for whatever reason sets him off and then the great yeah, Rob Reiner goes to Mississippi line yeah then there's yeah, like this is a weird person like why did that set him off yeah that was just like a joke that was just like oh it'd be funny if they like all these things were shit fuck yeah dumb fuck whatever and then but fuck fuck was the one that made him mad and that and that uh Fred Melamed the, the character could knew exactly you know that was Rob Reiner who said it <laughs> Mississippi audition. Emily Heller had a great joke, which was, and I specifically asked for no feedback. Which I was <laughs> um, we talked about, you know, casting real life people in previous episodes, but in this one, Joe Montaigne, the great Joe Montaigne yeah. shows up. Um, when you're doing something like that, when you're bringing in the real world and a real, a real famous person, are you highly specific about how you're choosing? Are you like, we are writing Joe Montaigne and then checking to see if he can do it, if he gets it. How does something like that happen? Yeah, no, we, you know how you kind of cast a net first and you kind of say who, who would be down to do it. And then you talk to a lot of people and some people, you know, were really gracious, but kind of like, I don't want to play myself, which I understood. And then, um, but on that list was Joe Montaigne, which I was like, man, he'd be perfect. And then I had a really nice chat with him on the phone and kind of explained what the story was. And he's just, such a lovely guy and was like absolutely man yeah sure and he does do work with vets like that's a his challenge coin he he that was all him he brought that up you know he improvised that like here's my challenge coin and when he says simplify that's all (laughs) i had recently heard him on wtf and he was talking about it and i was like oh shit this is they really tapped tapped into the true vein of Montaigne here yeah no yeah that he but that's the thing you kind of have it you talk to him and he says Oh, I do work with vets. And I said, Oh, well then, you know, let's say that on the show. Like you should say that to Cousineau. Um, but my favorite line in that is I think Alec Berg was had the joke in that, which was uh you didn't when they show, they show him the article and Cousineau says, You didn't make this at Knott's Berry Farm to fuck with me, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Because we'll give the scripts out, like you write it, and then you kind of go, "Hey, does anybody have any things in here?" And people put little things in the margin, or you know. And Alec, I remember, had put that just kind of in the side, and I laughed out loud. It was during the pandemic, and I just started laughing so hard, and I was like, "Yes, such a good line." My favorite line is uh, 
suddenly Seymour 1985 is the password, uh, which is oh yeah, what yeah. Hank tells Barry when he hands or he, he tells Barry where the bomb is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. which I, I, I guess is a little shot before his joke. It makes sense that Hank would be a little shot before his. Yeah, guy. no, that makes total sense that that he likes little shop of horrors for sure. There's a there's a quiet part making the quiet part loud aspect of Barry having to carry a bomb around this episode and detonate it because that's kind of like the theme of this whole show and this whole season is there's something like ticking waiting to go off um i thought the kind of cross-cutting between putting the bomb underneath the home and then trying to speak to the customer service rep at detonate and the app cross-cut with fernando and cristobal having their encounter was like one of the best sequences in the show so far can you talk about that part yeah, some of that was in the reshoots because, again, we wrote it where, where Cristobal came home during the day for some reason, and we shot it. And then so there was this whole scene during the day. So then when you cut back at night, Cristobal's still there, and they're still talking, and it just didn't feel right. And I said, shouldn't he come back home during the night? You know, so we went back and reshot that. And then the scene, because the scene with... um the bomb was put under the, the house, but we didn't play up the sound of the bomb. Like once we were in editing and that is when he picks up the bomb initially, it's um, a Korean voice and that's Jason Kim, one of our writers who's, who's really talented. And then when he hits the, the bomb against the underneath the house and the voice changes to Japanese, that's Hiro Murai, who directs Atlanta <laughs> with Hiro, was very nice to send me a voice memo. I was like, he's saying, you've picked up the bomb in Japanese. And um, so we had that. So it was like, oh, it'd be funny if, if the guys inside the house were hearing that, you know. And then just the scene between uh, Fernando and Cristobal, just again, it wasn't really on point. It was... Sometimes you write stuff, especially when you write stuff as a group, and it becomes the scenes about like five different things. And this happens to us all the time. And then you get in the edit and you say, this should be about one thing. And then you realize like of those five things, what it should be isn't any of those five things. <laughs> it should be about, you know, I know about what, what's going on and you need to go fix this. And like, I mean, he's basically, you know, saying, you know, you, you know, I told, I, I told Michael Irby when he was doing that scene, I was like, as he's saying, like, you're, you're not good at this, you know, you, you can't make the, you know, you're all about think pieces and all this stuff. And, you know, I think you have to, to take that, that he, he's talking about, you know, your sexuality and you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, uh, it, it has all these other implications to it. And, um, Michael, I just think both of them, Miguel Ferrara and, 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 uh, Michael is just, holy shit. Michael's so good. I love it when he says, uh, you have to kill me. I just I'm like, man, that it just like, yeah, Michael Irby and that scene just really, really knocked out of the park. And then when I'm doing detonate, that is Allie Greer, our great editor as the voice of the woman. Cause she's, she's a very sweet person from Minnesota. 
chill, chillingly accurate representation of what it's yes. like to be on he's one of like, those oh, calls. God. Oh, geez. And she's like, well, it hurts like, here's like everything went well. <laughs> you know. Uh, it's always the nicest person in the world who usually can't help you, but in this case, she she did help you. Um, and you did, you did. Yeah, set the bomb yeah. Off. But that was one that in the edit we were messing around with a lot of like, when do you cut back out to Barry? When do you not? And we tried like, oh, there must be seven versions of that scene where you're going back to Barry more or you go you don't go back to them at all there was an early version we tried to cross cut between that and Sally's premiere and it, it just it just was not working and so that was like weirdly a very hard thing to get right I have a I'll have a lot of questions for you I think in the future about action filmmaking but it feels like this season is a more of an action set piece series of events and like there's a there's a, a bomb explodes a house in this episode. I mean, this is yeah, no joke. There's not, there's not a lot of VFX in that either. That's our special effects guys. Those are all practical effects. And and they have, um, that was one of the coolest things ever. I mean, I mean, that's the, that, the way that explosion looks off on camera is the way it looked. That's what it looked like on the day, you know, like there's pretty, pretty very incredible VFX in that, in that scene, which is pretty, pretty amazing. But, uh, yeah. And uh, and and uh, Darren Tiernan, who who shot that episode, just did a great job of 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 lighting it, and I like the way it's framed with the house in the background and and everything. It just yeah, it gives it like this proximity that's really nice. Um, I I love the tenderness between Hank and Barry too when he brings Crystal Ball back to the house. It's an, yeah, a great moment, yeah. a great that's moment a for Anthony com- Kerrigan. Yeah, and also that Barry on some level knows he doesn't have that Mm. like, Oh, Barry kind of looks at that moment going like, Oh, that's what love is before he's about to get, you know, dumped. (laughs) Yeah. I bring it up because that's where I wanted to go with this, which is just to talk about Sally and Sally's story in this episode. And, you know, I'm going to probably keep circling back to asking you if you've had moments like some of the ones that Sally is had and, and is having on the show right now, because she attends the premiere of a show that she created. She's being interviewed on the red carpet. There's photo ops. She learns shortly before going on stage that she's gotten a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes, which if you've ever heard me on the rewatchables, you know, I say means nothing, but I think to some people means a great deal. Yeah, Um, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the kind of satire of it was that she gets a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes and it's like, she makes an Oscar speech, you know, (laughs) like it's like she won an Oscar that got uh, reshot. That was a big reshoot because, again, I take full responsibility for this. The initial, her initial speech I wrote was her going, I got a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes, and Pam only got a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, and fuck Pam. <laughs> and it turned in, and Sarah Goldberg did it brilliantly. It turned into like, uh, like a, Chris Rock stand-up special was her like pacing the stage and being like, this girl lives in bubble. Like, you know, and she's like going off and everyone's like cheering and going crazy. And we just thought it was so funny and then cut it together. And again, it just emotionally didn't work. And it was actually Amy Gravett at HBO. I go, I was talking to her and we, we knew we were going to do these reshoots. And I said, you know, I just feel like the Sally speech in four doesn't work the way I thought it would. And 
she was like, yeah, you seems like you want to see her just do everything right. You just want, like, she is talented and you just want to see it go well. And, and, and I said, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. It's like, make it clean. It's a side that we haven't seen from her all season, you know? And it's like, again, it's like, oh, this would be a funny joke. And I, not for the character or whatever, I, Bill, want to see Sarah do stand-up like this. I think it would be funny. Um, and so it's like that's what's driving it as opposed to, like, well, what's the character going through and what's the story need? And so we went back and, and reshot it, and I felt terrible. I was like, Sarah, we rewrote your speech, and you got to read your speech, <laughs> you know, which she worked really hard on. And then she went back, and then because of that, we reshot all the stuff of, you know, the scene where she's working on her speech and uh, with Darcy, the whole like Thweedy, like that was <laughs> in the moment, yeah. And then uh, her getting in her car, you know what I mean, and saying bye and shutting the door in Darcy's face, like, it, like it, it was one of those connecting pieces where you need to put the ticking clock of. There was no ticking clock of. Sally Barry has to be at the premiere. She's leaving for the, for the premiere, but the detonate thing won't work. So he's like in a suit getting ready, but he's got to just get this one thing done. But then he has to hit these other two houses on the way home. He's got to go by Hank. He's got to go by Cousineau, you know? And, um, so yeah, but when we redid it, uh, Sarah Goldberg, she, she was really funny. And then I said, Hey, what if you tried just in the middle of this having like, a real quiet personal moment. I didn't say what, but I was just like, you know, just like the moment you would have alone, you know, uh, you know, in your room after you got the news about 98 Rotten Tomatoes. And she went, got it and went out there and did that thing that you see. And we, I, I mean, we hold on it forever where she just starts going, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> just did this thing and kind of had like a mental breakdown, like whatever narratives going on in her head is so funny. And I was just crying, laughing at the, at the monitors, but it was just like, yeah, she just did. I just thought what she did that day was just magic. I thought it was so funny. It also, it makes the, I don't know if it's a payoff, but it makes what happens to her next that much more powerful if you yeah it the way that, you well, that was kind of Amy's it. point yeah I was trying to like I didn't know where to say that because you you want to make sure you know people are surprised next week but um but yeah definitely that that was one of the things um so shortly thereafter you know Katie confronts her about the relationship that she's in and and you know Sally has this dawning moment it seems like based on that conversation. But what I wanted to ask you is in your eyes, is this Sally being impressionable or has the veil been lifted for her about her relationship? The veil's been lifted by someone who actually does care about her, but no, Elsie Fisher, I got to give big credit to because she was the one that kind of, we we talked it out and did it a couple ways. and, And we both kind of were, you know, I think as written, it was kind of, you know, not like angry, but like, look, you're with a bad guy and I don't like what he's doing to you. And, you know, it was kind of that attitude. And she said, you know, when I deliver things like this, I think, um, 
I've had to say this to not this exact thing to friends, but when you have to tell someone you respect uh, something hard that they might not take well, I'm terrified. Mm. And I went, oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, do that. And that's the take that's in there. I thought that was so, like, no, she's just incredibly, I just thought that was great. I was like, that's that's better than what was written. Um, so, So, yeah, it is her... It is her, you know, the veil's being lifted and she knows she's right. And that, you know, she says later, like, you know, that made me go back to a place I don't want to go to again. And, and, um, and then, yeah, Barry gets dumped by her. And then his reaction is like, what? I was having a day, you know, like, that's what everyone says. Like, well, he was just in a bad mood. He was just having a day, you know, it's like the way you can excuse those things. But again, I mean, we showed it to people and there was people who were like, yeah, he's having a day. Fuck that guy. And then there was people who were like, well, I get fucking mad. People should have room to be getting mad. Like what the fuck? You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's the area you want to be in and not didactically saying, here's how we feel about this. It's kind of like, well, here's how the character feels about it. Here's how she's saying about it. And you can take with it what, what you want, you know? Um, so that was interesting, like early kind of showing it to people, like the different reactions you would get to that moment of, of, oh, I'm, yeah, fuck him. I'm so glad. And then, and men and women saying, well, I mean, he got mad. I mean, I get, I don't know. I mean, you need room to be fucking angry. Right. And it's like, well, what he did was pretty crazy, <laughs> you know, and her, and her past and everything. And it's like, I know, I know. But so it, it's like a weird, it, it's like always surprises me, you know, but that's, that's kind of where you want to live. I think when you're it's, creating. It's, it, it's really good. And a vacuum would be an interesting conversation. If we didn't know Barry had murdered dozens of people. Yeah. If you didn't, or, yeah, we know he's murdered a lot of people and we know her past. So it, to me, it's pretty cut and dry that she, and, 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 and it shows growth on her parts and that she's regressed and now she's back. And I think it's pretty simple in that way, but it was just, the, these are the things that happen when you make these things is that you don't expect that conversation. I was like, well, to me, it's pretty cut and dry. And the amount of people who were like, so wait, she gets she dumps him because he got mad at her, and it's like, well, dude. <laughs> TV audiences are weird, though. You know, there's the that reminds me a little of the Skylar White Breaking Bad thing, where it was like, why are people mad at Skylar White? Yeah, I character? never understood it. Well, people have it with Sally, where people are mad at Sally, and I'm like, she's ambitious. Like, what's going on? Like, Barry kills people. That's the thing we always say. I like the ending where we start aspect of this episode too with uh, Annabeth Gish character and, and her son at the gun store. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's this very intense moment and we think that they're probably buying a gun together, but the reaction of the gun seller when he says, sweet. Yeah, that guy was great. And yeah, he's just watched these people clearly saying they're going to go kill somebody. And he's like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a commission. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good place for us to wrap this episode. Sweet. Thank you, Bill. Thank Uh, you. Please stay tuned. We'll be back next week with episode five. Thanks to Bill Hader and thanks to our producer, Bobby Wagner, for his work on today's episode. If you dug this conversation, please join us next Sunday on the Prestige TV pod. Bill and I will be back to talk about episode five of Barry's third season. See you then.